Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas. Not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk. It all began with a speech. Over the years, there have been countless speeches from the regulator promising big changes, most of them falling short. But this one was going to have a much bigger impact. In September 2006, at the Glen Eagles Hotel, Financial Services Authority Chairman Callum McCarthy described a broken financial advice market where dubious incentives were leading to poor consumer outcomes. He wanted change. The speech marked a major turning point for advisors. It set the regulator down a path that ended with RDR reforms, which came into force at the end of 2012. Now, 10 years on, we look back at the history of RDR. In this three-part series, we speak to the key players involved at advice firms, the FCA, and in the wider industry to dig deep into the biggest ever change to the UK advice market. I am Jack Gilbert. And I am Charles Wormsley. And this is the story of the RDR. We say it all began in 2006, but actually, let's go back to 1999. Britney Spears was top of the charts, Bill Clinton was being impeached, and two advisors had just won a very lucrative business. Those advisors were Gene McIntyre and Phil Melville of Argyle Financial. Here is Phil Melville. In 1999, we got a new contract with a company in Warrington, who, um, an American company called Morrison Knudsen. And they just got a contract with the UK government to move to Sellafield and start clearing up nuclear waste. And um, from nothing, we, we, we suddenly had about 350 very highly paid engineers in a group pension scheme. And I mean, in, in weeks, they were coming, coming in from all over the place. And our business in those days operated on upfront commission, as did everybody else. And we were making a fortune. But the good times did not last for Phil and Jean. And when things went wrong, this was when they realised they needed to change their fee model. And in middle of 2000, I think it was, there was a bit of an issue off the coast of Barrow and Finesse with a shipload of nuclear waste coming from Japan. And Tony Blair had a wobbler and stopped the whole programme um, while they did a review. Because Sellafield had been earmarked as the place for nuclear waste. We suddenly found one day I was called into a meeting down, down in London by the, the guy who ran the thing. It was called a town hall meeting, which was the American thing for a group meeting in those days. And he suddenly announced that the Americans had decided they were stopping the project. And right before my very eyes, they fired with immediate effect about 250 of these guys. And they'd only been on our books for six to nine months. 
So we suddenly had a clawback of well, well over 100,000 quid. With the insurer, Scottish Amicable, suddenly asking for a £100,000 clawback of upfront commissions, Phil realised their model was not sustainable. We, we suddenly started to realise that we didn't have what we thought was a business. We were just middlemen flogging products for commission. We'd, all, we'd always deluded ourselves to think we were somehow in charge. Phil and Jean were not alone in seeing a need for change. Others were also pushing for a new model. Among the most notable figures were Ian Taylor and Michael Howard, who co-founded Transact in 1999. The UK's first rap platform allowed the infrastructure of a fee-based advice model to emerge. Phil came up with the idea of asking his clients if they were happy to transfer their investments from various life company products onto Transact. Investments were then modelled on an asset allocation tool provided by Standard Life. Instead of taking commission payments, clients would pay an advice fee for selecting and managing their investments. Taylor, who died last year, may have been the first to come up with the RAP platform for UK advisors, but others quickly saw the light and other RAPs were launched. One of the first to come to market was Nucleus. Here is co-founder David Ferguson. We started thinking about Nucleus back in the late 90s. And what was happening, there'd been a bunch of advisors and financial planners, probably the beginning of the financial planning community, had sort of started charging clients fees rather than commission and realised they could do something better for their customers and create a better business for themselves. So it was long before um, RDR or even... um, CP121 was one of the regulatory forerunners to that. And it just seemed to us that that, that was the obvious direction of travel. You'd have the, you know, the internet had come along and shone a light of transparency in lots of industries. And you still had this one operating on a whole bunch of commissions and kickbacks and that sort of stuff. And it felt it was a much more interesting um, modern way to do things. So when we were thinking about it, it was completely without a regulatory focus because the, the regulator hadn't even begun to think about this, or maybe been thinking about it, but certainly hadn't published anything about this at all. Alongside the rap revolution, a new community of fee-based planners began to emerge. In 2005, CTY launched a new magazine to champion this group of pioneers, and New Model Advisor was born. Each issue profiled a firm. The very first cover stars were Gene and Phil of Argyle. Frank Dobson, Audience Development Director at CityWire, was tasked back in 2005 with meeting some of the planners moving to the fee-based model. We launched NMA. The first issue was a monthly um, in February of 2005 um, with Phil Melville and Gene McIntyre of Argyle on the cover on a very cold beach. And um, we had, you know, been speaking to a few advisors and we kind of got wind of this move away from a commission-based model towards a fee-based model. And uh, Phil and Gene um, very kindly described the journey that they had been on for us. And we put them on the cover of the first issue, telling their story. Um, and we got a lot of um, interest from advisors around the UK who actually wrote into us saying, you know, we've been thinking about doing something similar. Um, I, I believe, if I remember correctly, Phil and Jean also got a lot of contact from advisors asking them to explain certain points that they'd been talking about. Um, so we realised that we needed to get out and meet some of these advisors in the field. 
So in May of, um, I'm going to say 2005, it was actually the 13th of May 2005, um, we had a conversation about um, setting up the first iteration of what is the CityWire audience development team which was myself and a guy called Jonathan Share, And we were tasked to go out around the UK and meet as many new model advisors as we could possibly find and get them to tell us their story. Things progressed quickly. NMA moved from a monthly to a weekly. Our first conference was held in January 2006, where the idea emerged of scoring firms based on metrics such as the level of qualifications they held and the amount of recurring income they were generating. Between myself and Jonathan, we must have gone out and met about 400 firms in the last six months of 2005. And back then, you know, there were some people who were completely converted to moving across to a fee-based model. And there were other people who were thinking about it. Um, and if you look at what's happened since then, obviously, there's been, you know, quite a seismic change in the way things are done. But um, as we told more and more stories about more and more firms' journeys, we actually had, in the early days, a lot of people coming to us and saying, well, can you come out and see that? See us? We're doing something interesting in Manchester. Or when are you coming up to Glasgow? We've got a couple of firms here. I even had um, a guy called Colin Lowe, who now runs his own um, firm, Kingsfleet, who was at um, Scandia at the time, contacting me saying, look, I work with some great IFAs. We need to get them talking to you guys. We worked with the associations. I mean, we were, you know, we did a lot with the IFP, with Nick Can down in Bristol back in the day. We did a lot with CIFA. We did a lot with the PFS. Um, there was a guy called Len Warwick who sadly passed away, I think, in 2013, um, who was a, re- a really good mentor to me and got me speaking at a few local group meetings of IFAs too, just to tell them about, you know, what we were seeing and how we were trying to champion the new model advisor movement. This new model of fee-based and qualified financial advice was a world away from the status quo. As Phil Melville told us, pre-RDR, advisors were essentially salesmen for insurance companies, the ones who weren't tied agents working at banks or life companies were completely reliant on the commissions they received from providers. In his novel, Coming Up for Air, George Orwell portrays a typical middle-aged door-to-door insurance salesman. It is a very old-school stereotype and not one which has a great reputation with the public. With advisors paid by commission on the products they sold, it is not hard to see why clients, or Mrs Miggins as Ian Taylor liked to call them, did not receive a good service. There was churning between products to get more commissions and clients were largely clueless on what they were paying. The FCA's David Gill, one of the architects of the reforms at the regulator, said it was these concerns that prompted action. In 2006, we had a number of concerns about the advice market and the way it was operating. We were seeing challenges around consumer trust in the market, a potential misalignment of incentives between advisors and their customers, uh, and frankly, too many instances of poor advice. So back in 2006, we took the decision to do a fundamental review And that sparked off a huge amount of work, working with the industry, working with consumer groups and involving research to come up with a a more of a problem statement of what did we think the real issues were in the market and then to develop what we felt were the solutions to those problems. But not everyone was in favour of the regulators' new changes, which were first being muted in 2006. Many established big players in finance pushed back against the reforms or called for them to be watered down. I had a glance through the dozens of responses submitted to MPs on the Treasury Select Committee in 2011, 
typical argument against the reforms was put forward by a certain St. James's place. We believe that the RDR rules will lead to a lack of transparency in total costs and increased levels of overall charges, the firm said. Specifically, SJP said unbundling of charges will lead to consumer confusion about different platform, fund and advice fees. But SJP was not alone in voicing concerns. While the new raps launched by people like Ian Taylor and David Ferguson were calling for radical change, the UK Platform Group, a lobbying body featuring the likes of CoFunds, Hargreaves Lansdowne and Scandia, was pushing the FCA for a more restrained set of reforms. Here is David Ferguson again. I always thought it was interesting how some of the legacy providers were quite negative and and derisory really towards the the rap sector and the the fact that the UK platform group didn't let us in for a while <laughs> you know I thought it was quite it was quite interesting and then they had this dominant market share and then I think people realised that you know the work that Ian had started was actually right you know and I suspect privately a lot of people who are working in those providers would be would sit now and say to Ian Taylor was right and you know whatever eccentric was right and maybe nucleus was right whatever um despite the fact they worked for organizations that were kind of fighting it tooth and nail at the time there'd be quite a lot of that there were also many predictions that the new higher bar for qualifications would lead to a mass exodus of advisors which would create a huge advice gap but in the end the FCA did not listen to those lobbying for a softer approach to RDR and it largely went ahead with the vision which Callum McCarthy laid out in his 2006 speech at the Glen Eagles Hotel. I think what came out in PS13-1 would have been pretty consistent with what we were advocating for, if I remember correctly. I hope that's not too much rose-tinted spectacles, but that's my... I remember being really pleased when we saw the rules um, uh, back in, you know, whatever that was, I remember thinking, yes, yeah, this, is, this is really pretty good. This is, this, is the, this is the outcome we thought was the right one. Thanks for listening to the story of RDR. Join us for the next episode when we will be discussing whether or not this advisor exodus actually happened and the impact RDR had on advisors when it came into force. This is a CityWire studio production written and narrated by Jack Gilbert and Charles Wormsley, and produced by Neve Doyle. Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas. Not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk.